Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, can I please have your attention? Daniel Digger! Greetings, dear listeners. This is Jonah Goldberg, host of the Remnant Podcast, brought to you by The Dispatch and Dispatch Media. Go to thedispatch.com to find all the good stuff. Um, We had some great stuff about uh, the various legal cases that... um, have been brought by Trump world um, running through what they were about, why they failed or why they're going to fail. Um, if you're looking for honest, straightforward information that actually explains this stuff without hyperbole, um, there's just some great stuff to be found both uh, in the morning dispatch archive on the homepage and also among the fact checks. Uh, so full disclosure, um, I, uh, um, have a general rule. I don't do public speaking as a general rule if I've been drinking. Um, I certainly don't do TV if I've been drinking. I don't do radio, though I don't do much radio now. And the radio I do is during the day, and I'm not a big day drinker um, either. But, uh, and, you know, there have been exceptions to this. Like back in the NR days, we would do these night owl things sort of comedy hours originally was me and Rob Long and Mark Stein. And then when Mark left, it was me and Rob Long and pod. And that basically became the, um, the, the basis of, uh, glop actually, you know, the original podcast was me, Rob and, and Mark. And we did that a few times and then Mark went off to do other things and pod came in and, um, eventually, we called it GLOP, which stands for it's Goldberg, Long, and Pedoritz, and it's uh, a pun on pop culture. And whether it's a good title or not doesn't matter. It's sort of sunk in. But there you go. There's a little history for you. So, like, anyway, during those kinds of things, I would drink, and um, because that was part of the thing. But I, anyway, I bring all of this up because uh, every year, me and my and most of my closest friends in Washington, these guys who I mostly work with, not all of them, some of them were people I knew through them, uh, we get together and have our holidays lunch, H-O-L-I-D-A-Z-E. And we've been doing it for, oh, gosh, about 20 years now. And um, um, it used to be a much boozier affair and would often start at noon and end at like four in the morning and all sorts of uh, wayward things would happen as we went along the dis- uh, bad, a bad decision tree after another. Um, but we are now all adults, at least biologically, and we have kids and uh, commitments and stuff. And so now it's, it's still a great time and we have a lot of fun. And yes, I was drinking earlier today. 
think I'm pretty sober now, but um, if I just start ranting about how Trieste belongs to the Italians, um, uh, you, you know why. And uh, it's funny because the other day on the, um, I think it was Dispatch Live, uh, Sarah asked if any of us could do a podcast that we didn't care about downloads, didn't care about ratings, didn't care about selling ads. What kind of podcast would we do? And David had a great one about uh, sitting down with different former generals or military historians and going one by one through great battles in American history and talking about the strategy and the events. And I actually think we'll probably end up doing something like that because it's a good enough idea. And, and, and with David, if he's passionate about something, I say this as his employer, we want to incentivize him to follow his passions. And I think it would be really great. Um, Steve, of course, prattled on about Spanish wine. And uh, Sarah had some idea about doing a regular podcast on evolutionary biology, f focused in part around her baby, uh, which could be good, probably work better as a YouTube video because people like looking at babies, even when they're hearing sort of eggheady stuff. And I kind of muffled it. You know, part of it is because I have the remnant, I get to do for the most part what I want on the remnant. Um, but that's not entirely true as I've been thinking about it because, you know, like we do, I do a lot of wonkery on here. I do a lot of nerdery. I just did 90 minutes with Raihan Salam. Um, and I like that stuff. I think it's a good service. I think it's um, needed in this time of screaming and shouting and professionalized dumbassery to actually remind people that, you know, even if I may be middle brow, that we've got a lot of really smart people out there who have put real thought into what actual conservative policies and politics and principles are and can articulate them um, in non soundbitey ways. And, uh, and I think that's a good thing and I enjoy doing it. I mean, I don't enjoy necessarily every single conversation because you don't know how it's going to go when you go into it. Um, but I gotta say if I had, but it bothered me because that's not, it wasn't quite an honest answer. I just got caught off guard. And I think that if I could do any podcast I wanted, um, it would be closer to, well, I mean, when I originally started thinking about doing this, I know this sounds weird given what I just said, but I kind of thought in some ways the model should be Howard Stern. Howard Stern gets a really bad rap um, uh, because he's so crude and like, I don't like a lot of the stuff that he does and, and it's juvenile, you know, and I, I kind of grew up with Howard Stern in New York. I wasn't that into him, but so many of my friends were, and you know, I can still talk about E. Vincent luggage and all of these various things. And, uh, grandpa Al from the monsters, uh, yelling F the FCC and all that. But, um, Stern's actually a really good interviewer and he talks to people in ways that gets them to actually say things. And I've never really thought of myself as an interviewer. And that was one of my great, um, causes for reluctance to do a podcast at all is that, my misanthropy. I don't, I, I feel uncomfortable talking to strangers. And it's one of the reasons why I'm not a natural reporter. Um, and I also don't, you know, one of the reasons, I, another reason I'm not a reporter is I have a very hard time listening to people who I really profoundly disagree with and saying, Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Collectivized agriculture. Tell me more about that. And there are, it's one of these skills that I think they don't really teach you in journalism school. Don't get me started on journalism school. 
Um, it's one of these skills that the best natural reporters have abilities to have an ability not only to establish in a rapport with people, but they're really, really good listeners to the end. They're not argumentative because the second the person they're talking to picks up that you want to pick a fight with them or that you disagree with them in some violent, hostile or, you know, um, harsh way, they clam up. And so the ability to sort of butter up people and let them just spill the beans to you, which, and I got to say, I'm not a huge fan of Bob Woodward's. I think there's a lot of hype around Bob Woodward, but he clearly has some Jedi mind trick abilities to get people to open up to him. And I think part of that has to do these days with his just general reputation. You know, there's this thing about, um, you know, I can't remember who, what maybe it was George Stephanopoulos in his biography or his memoir, you know, he got a call from Bob Woodward when he was working for the Clinton White House. And he says something like, my first reaction was, holy crap, I'm in trouble. Bob Woodward's coming after me. And then his second thought was, oh man, I've arrived. Because to be quoted in a Bob Woodward book means Bob Woodward, Bob Woodward thinks you matter. And that sort of credentializes you. So I think that helps him somewhat. But regardless, people like him can do that. And I'm, uh, that's just not me. I, I like to debate people. Um, and I try to keep a lot of that in check and let people talk on the remnant. But I have to say, as a matter of full disclosure, you know, I really do want to get more like left wingers and people that profoundly agree with, disagree with, um, on the remnant. But one of the reasons why I'm, I've been reluctant to do that is just, I'm so busy. And if I'm going to have somebody on where it's going to be, even somewhat adversarial, even in a friendly way, I just feel like I have to do more prep for it. Um, and I know that's lazy, but you know, I do work very, very hard and, um, having people on who I find really, really interesting that I just want to hear what they have to say and have a conversation with them, I think isn't a bad thing either. Uh, but why did I get on this? Oh, I got on this because, you know, what my ideal personal podcast would be, be something more like Howard Stern and not because I want to interview a bunch of celebrities and stuff and, you know, uh, never mind like, uh, Playboy Playmates and whatnot. Um, but because the format is a lot more fun, you know, uh, for years, for about a year and a half, while I was thinking about doing, uh, the remnant back when I was at NR, it's like, you know, I can't just do this as a solo thing. Um, you know, I, I first of all, I find that arrogant. And second of all, you need someone to have, you know, badinage with someone who you can, you know, bounce off of and use as a foil. You need a Rob, Robin Quivers or something or a stuttering John or whoever. And, um, uh, and we kind of turned Jack Butler into that and it started a little awkward, but Jack turned out to be, I mean, he's such a peculiar guy, but he's such a good and decent guy that, um, and he's really smart and he reads lots of things that the chemistry ended up kind of working, but it's not like a lot of wacky jokes and fun time and giving each other grief and all that kind of stuff. And so in some ways, the ideal podcast for me would be to have, you know, me and, um, the guys I do this lunch with every year sitting around drinking, uh, just, you know, talking about stuff. Cause we have a really good time. We, tell lots of jokes. Uh, we make fun of each other. We make fun of politicians. We make fun of people in the media. Um, one of our rituals every year, and I will say this diplomatically 
is we all have to come with uh, nominations for uh, D-Bag of the Year. We abbreviate D-B-O-Y. Um, and then we have debates about who are the most annoying people of the year. Um, we used to have very strict criteria for it. It had to be um, someone who thought they were a bigger deal than they really were and got out over their skis and uh, humiliated themselves. So that, that, that Shkreli, whatever his name is, the guy who spent $2 million on the, on the, uh, on the, what was it? The Wu-Tang album, uh, Wu-Tang. I can't remember now. Anyway, uh, uh, he was one, one year. There's a business guy who was one, one year. I think Elizabeth Holmes might've been one, one year. Um, certainly they all came up in various debates. Uh, we try to stay away from politicians, but this year there were just so many of them. Anyway, it's a fun conversation to have. Uh, it's a bunch of really smart guys and, um, it's just energetic and fun. And I'd love to do something more like that where, um, I could really sort of bounce stuff off people and, and have a good time and maybe still do all the interviews and whatnot. But that's just a hard thing to do. If you're not doing it every day, don't have a huge infrastructure going. And, you know, here at the dispatch, we have so much other stuff that we got to deal with. Um, I'm perfectly happy in my strange niche uh, with the remnant, although I do want this podcast to get weirder. Um, um, and we're going to work on that in the in the year to come. I would like it to be a little bit more G-file-ish, but not too much more because you can't get people on if they think they're going to get sprayed with seltzer. Um, you know, who wants to talk about, you know, the British philosopher, Michael Oakeshott, while I keep interrupting to say, pull my finger and then playing fart noises or something. So, uh, it's just something I've been thinking about the last few days. Cause I really think I kind of like muffled that answer. Um, so Lucy nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. Research and developed for three years to make for to be made for people, not patients. Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine that come in three flavors: wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate. Lucy also has a lozenge with four milligrams of nicotine in cherry ice flavor. I gotta try that one next. Each and every flavor actually tastes great. So far, that's actually true. I actually tried the pomegranate the other day, and I'm not a pomegranate fan, but I liked it nonetheless. And it's convenient and discreet. Products can be enjoyed anywhere, on flights, at work, on the go, even in the gym. Now, I've been telling people for a while now to try, give a try to Lucy. I mean, it's not for everybody. If you don't have a need for nicotine, uh, you know, maybe this is not the time to start. But if you're trying to quit smoking or cut back on you know, the glorious habit of smoking cigars... Uh, I highly recommend this product for you. It's, 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 it's extremely useful. It's 2020. Get rid of your cigarettes, unplug your vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. This is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your door each month. It's so simple, and you don't have to leave your house because Lucy has delivery down. Remnant listeners, go to lucy.co. That's C-O. Go to lucy.co and use promo code DINGO to get 20% off all products, including gum or lozenges. That's 20% off at lucy.co, promo code DINGO. Also, I have to give this disclaimer. 
Warning, this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. That's true. Lucy.co, and be sure to use that promo code DINGO. We thank Lucy for sponsoring today's episode of The Remnant. I wrote the G file today. It was rushed, and it was rushed because I had this lunch that, you know, uh, it's a one time a year thing. And then if you, if you can possibly go, you have to go. And I wanted to go and I just had so much stuff to do. So, um, I started working on it in the car parked along, uh, near Haynes point, uh, not Haynes point, uh, near the, uh, the Western mall where that golf course is in Washington, DC. And it's one of those rare days where I started smoking a cigar at like at nine 30 in the morning. Uh, because I just had to rush to get to lunch at noon. And then I finished it after a couple bo- Bloody Marys and a couple bottles of wine. And uh, and the thing that made it possible to write it quickly and rushed was I'm just pissed off. And that's one of the reasons why I had this strange open just now, because uh, I'm trying to not be pissed off. Um, I am disgusted. I am utterly disgusted with what with what has happened to the GOP. And yes, there is all sorts of I told you so stuff I get to enjoy. You know, I honestly think that um, it would have been in some weird ways worse, at least for people like me, if Donald Trump politely or half graciously or as graciously as he's capable of being. Um, accepted the results of the election, uh, said that, you know, this COVID thing with the absentee ballots really pisses them off, but, you know, it is what it is and, and run in 2024. And I think he would have been in better shape. He would have been looked upon vastly more favorably by history. He's not going to be looked at favorably by history as it is, but this is very different. And instead, he basically decided to be like the Duke brothers from trading places, turn those machines back on and, uh, lie, repeatedly lie, spread malicious, pernicious, dangerous conspiracy theories about how the election was stolen from him and, um, uh, and forced vast chunks of the Republican party and the right. I'm not even sure. I, I, I don't feel as I write in the G file today. I'm not comfortable really calling a lot of these people conservatives anymore. Um, to subscribe to, first of all, to say nothing as he's saying all this stuff and as his minions are saying all this stuff is an act of profound cowardice. It is a grotesque abdication of any semblance of just the minimal levels of political leadership that, um, whether you're an elected official or part of the intellectual superstructure of the right, to just silently let, to, sil- to silently stand by while the void is filled with this just malicious nonsense, letting millions of people whose only mistake is to trust that Donald Trump isn't a liar and to trust that the people shouting in his defense aren't liars, to believe what, you know, whether it's Sean Hannity or Rush Limbaugh or Mark Levin, to believe that these are all serious arguments being marshaled in good faith. Um, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge them. I mean, I'm disappointed that so many people believe all of this nonsense, but I don't think they're bad people. Um, but the, 
the, to participate in this mass coordinated campaign of misinformation on behalf of this guy is so grotesque to me. And as I wrote about it in my column and I wrote about it again in the G file, you know, look, I've been defending federalism. I mean, how many times have you people heard me say over and over again, I consider federalism to be the best system ever conceived of, conceived of for maximizing human happiness. I give grease board presentations to college kids about federalism. I, I believe in it. I believe in the Madisonian vision of the constitution. Yeah. I, I also agree with a lot of the amendments and we can talk about all that if you like, but that's not the point. I think that this basic Madisonian constitutional order is a good and noble thing. And I've been saying it for 20 years because I believe it, not because audiences wanted to hear it from me. And that's what I thought most of the people in the Republican party and in the conservative, you know, uh, you know, uh, industrial complex believe too. And some of them really do. You know, my friends at National Review definitely really believe it. My colleagues at AI definitely believe this stuff to the extent that this is their kind of issue. You know, I mean, I don't know how committed to federalism the guys who are handling, you know, uh, Medicare stuff believe in this stuff, but you know, that's fine. My point is, is that I thought that this was one of these bedrock issues of dogma that you could argue at the margins about where the trade-offs are, and you can talk about various principles and what are the exceptions and yada, yada, yada. I myself have argued that, you know, my, you know, that, that things like wars and pandemics are one of the few classic exceptions to liberal democratic theory about how to organize a society, um, and which is what the founders believed too. But that's not what's going on here. You have this Texas lawsuit is so outrageously, incandescently stupid at every level. It is, but it's just not the stupidity. I mean, like this one quadrillion thing is so ridiculous. Um, for those of you who don't know, they're, they're claiming through some, you know, statistical light show that for Donald Trump to have lost the election after being ahead as he was on election night was so improbable, it wouldn't happen uh, less than one or more than one in a quadrillion chances which is just, you know, quadrillions are really impressive words, very large, there are many zeros. It's just so stupid and it's so willfully dishonest because we knew, Donald Trump knew, he said, he encouraged his voters to vote on election day. Democrats encouraged voters to get their mail-in ballots. We had huge debates about this. Everyone knew going into election night that the, the votes counted from election day would be heavily in favor of Trump in most places. And the votes counted by, uh, that were the absentee votes or the mail-in votes that were counted later would be heavily for Biden. And that was true in Florida. That was true in Ohio. Uh, it was true everywhere that, you know, in not just the swing states, it's just that in these battleground states, particularly Pennsylvania, the cowardly and idiotic state legislature through some just normal political BS refused to allow the mail-in stuff to be counted early. And so while Donald Trump had a, um, while Joe Biden had a huge lead in Florida um, that was slowly, I'm not sorry, Donald Trump, while Biden had a huge lead in Florida because they counted those votes early in Florida, and then Donald Trump slowly ate away at it on election night and won, when the reverse happened in Pennsylvania and Donald Trump was ahead on with election day votes, and then they started counting the, the mail-in stuff, and he started to lose his lead, that all of a sudden is considered proof that the election was stolen. 
And this one in a quadrillion thing is based on the assumption that the votes that were counted late at night or after, you know, the day of votes were counted should be statistically representative of, of the election day votes, which we all know was just not going to happen. It is just, it is just a blatant lie, but that's not the part that bothers me. I mean, what bothers me is this argument that this guy Paxton, you know, who's under investigation for bribery is, and that has been signed on to by the majority now of mem- Republican, of the Republican caucus, the Kraken caucus, as people are calling it, um, and 17 or 18, uh, attorney generals in various states, you know, Republican attorney generals, the constitutional theory behind this, um, lawsuit is a travesty. If you actually believe any of the stuff that people like me have been saying, that people like Marco Rubio, that people like Ted Cruz, that people like Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin, that people that conservatives were saying is boilerplate all of my life, which is this, you know, it basically, it contends that Texas, because it doesn't like the results of the election, can single out the, the way four other states, battleground states, um, handled their election process and say somehow it, it damaged Texas and therefore the Supreme Court should force the state legislatures in places like Georgia and Pennsylvania to uh, invalidate millions, tens of millions of votes and instead simply anoint Donald Trump president. And if you read the actual decision, it says there is no doubt that Donald Trump won. Um, so therefore, it would be fine for uh, these state legislatures to do this. This is, this would have to like, you know, take that, that pill that Charlie takes in Flowers for Algernon to become just a little stupid. Uh, Texas has no standing to force other states to change their election laws. Look, the Constitution is, you know, I'm not talking about subsequent Supreme Court decisions or uh, Voting Rights Act stuff or any of that kind of thing. But just going by the plain reading of the Constitution, state legislatures, first of all, don't have to have elections at all to appoint their electors. They could, they could have trials by combat. They could do, you know, they could have games of battleship between representatives of the two campaigns. They could do anything they wanted to d- decide who their electors would go to. And it would still be, by my lights, Democrat, small d democratic, because the, repre- the members of the state legislature were elected. And then sort of like uh, Edmund Burke's, uh, what is it, the letters to the elders of Bristol, uh, where he says, look, I'm not, I'm not obliged to do whatever you want. I'm obliged to exercise my judgment um, for what is best for my constituents. And so I have no theoretical problem with them coming up with some weird way to figure out who their electors are. I mean, I don't think they should come up with trial by combat or anything like that, but that's a democratic thing. And it would, it's fine under the constitution. Nowhere in the constitution does it say that Texas can just bully boy, uh, Georgia or Pennsylvania or Michigan into doing what it wants and invalidate an election. And if you took this remotely seriously, which I don't suggest anyone do, even though literally millions of people are taking this crap seriously, um, 
it would be the end of federalism in the United States. It would be end of the constitutional order. The whole, this is the whole argument that progressives have made for a hundred years almost, that uh, this is why we have all of that crazy Commerce Clause uh, jurisprudence that comes out of the New Deal. It basically says that, you know, since, you know, I don't know, a farmer or a widget manufacturer in Maine, um, that the price of their products are affected by what someone does in Minnesota. Therefore, the federal government has the right to intrude on that and, and, uh, and, and invalidate what someone is doing with their own private property. And we haven't, you know, we, we've peeled back some of that, but that damage to the federal structure, which is something that all of my former comrades in arms on the right used to complain about, was a blow against federalism. It was a blow against this idea that the individual states are, are, are semi-sovereign. Right? They're not completely sovereign because the Bill of Rights, including the Civil War Amendments and all of that stuff, applies in states. But other than that, they are, they are left to figure out how to run their own elections. The people of the United States do not elect the president of the United States. The states, the 50 states collective individually cast a vote for who they think should be president of the United States. That's what the Electoral College about. That's, that's the whole idea of sort of, 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 of mediating popular passions through responsible leaders at various levels of government. This was part of the whole compromise of the Madisonian structure to begin with. And uh, this guy Paxton and the people who are signing on to this thing as if it's a real thing are throwing that all away. And if that logic were actually to take hold, if, if smart liberals could say, hey, look, you said you believe this about election laws. Well, we believe that's about clean air laws or about workman's comp or about um, dare I say it, uh, um, drag queen story hour. This is the way you basically federalize the entire government of the United States if you took this crap seriously. And Ted Cruz knows this. Marco Rubio knows this. All of these people know it. And they're just going along with this because, look, because they're afraid of Trump's voters. They're afraid of Trump's tweets. Um, they, some of them want to be president and they think they need to be on the right side of these things. Uh, I get all those political considerations, but basically what has happened is that vast chunks of the right, um, in the media, in politics, they have, they have been turning their voters into not, not as individuals, you know, they're decent, they're still good, decent Americans on an individual basis when we're not talking about politics, but they've created a monster in the aggregate. And then they say, well, we have no choice but to um, do what the monster wants because there are voters, there are audience, there are donors. And it is so unbelievably depressing to me. This conservative action project came out with this thing saying there's no doubt that Donald Trump won. Um, and therefore, you know, the, these electors should just appoint him president. They're throwing all of this away. They're throwing it all in the garbage for this guy. And the whole point, not the whole point, but a big reason why we have the Electoral College is to prevent the kind of, you know, despotism that this basically represents. 
And, and, and I don't think I'm exaggerating here. If they were actually successful, if, for example, they had, Donald Trump had successfully put, you know, Pam Bondi and Rudy Giuliani and whoever else on the Supreme Court, some serviceable hacks who will do whatever he says and whatever he wants, which is what he thought he was getting in these justice, in the justices that he did appoint. Um, and they handed, they invalidated the election and handed it to, to Donald Trump. That would be cause for civil war. That would be cause for violence, serious, sustained violence that would do serious damage, if not destructive damage, to the United States of America and to every, everything that, that my side has been talking about as being glorious and timeless and transcendent and enduring. Um, you know, I mean, how many times I've listened to, you know, uh, folks on like, I don't know, Glenn Beck, who's the guy, guy wrote the 5,000 year leap or whatever. You know, there are these people out there who've actually, you know, deified the founding fathers, turned them into sort of, um, you know, sort of demigods on earth and that their wisdom is, is irrefutable and timeless, except when it might reinstall Donald Trump as president. And I, I, I just don't, I don't, I don't get why you would do this. I mean, is it really so important to be a senator? Is it really so important to be a freaking congressman? Um, is winning the Georgia runoff that important? Well, look, I mean, I can make a very strong case that if I lived in Georgia, I would vote for the Republicans, even though I have very little respect for either of them. But I actually think that having a Republican Senate might, you know, actually has um, a greater likelihood of forcing Joe Biden to govern from the center. Um, I can make a prudential argument as much as I would have to hold my nose to vote for Kelly Loeffler, who I think is a joke. Um, but that's not the point. I mean, the point is, I'm not willing to lie. I'm not willing to sort of throw out the, the argument and the project that conservatives have been fighting for for more than a half century um, for this. I mean, this isn't even Wales. I just, I, it just, I find it so disgusting that I, I'm struggling to sort of find the words for it. And I don't know, I don't know how this ends. I think it's doing, I think there's going to be violence. I hope there's not. Um, you know, as I say in the G file today, there, you got, how much time did we spend where, how much time was I subjected to listening to people on Fox and other places freak out that someone was rude to, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in a restaurant or someone said something unkind to a dude wearing a MAGA hat or, or even the stuff which I, which I found legitimately appalling, the treatment of the Covington high school kids. That was all bad. I'm not, I'm not endorsing any of that, but compared to the, the repeated death threats that uh, you know, Georgia election officials are being subjected to the fact that people with guns are showing up and protesting outside of election officials' homes. Um, that's got to be worse than, you know, hurting Sarah Huckabee Sanders' feelings, for God's sake. And, and there's no outrage about that. It's like whatever, you know, there, you know, you have Rush Limbaugh trial ballooning, uh, civil war or secession. Um, you know, he, he, he does this where he, you know, this is part of his MO where he just says, you know, it kind of feels like this might be happening, blah, blah, blah. I test the audience. And then two months later or two weeks later, he returns to it and he starts to double down more and more on this kind of stuff. 
This is going on all over the place. You have, you know, all sorts of responsible or, or people who normal people think are responsible, spokespeople of conservatism, of the right, of the Republican Party, saying that this lawsuit has serious merit to it, that it's a serious thing. And what is a normal person who gets all of their news from those kinds of sources supposed to think when the Supreme Court just says, this is hot garbage, get out of my court, which for all I know while I'm recording this has happened. It's just so also unbelievably corrupt and irresponsible. And, you know, look, I mean, when I say corruption, I don't care if I'm repeating myself on this stuff because I'm just so pissed off. You know, the major, a major theme of my book was about corruption, right? Corruption is not just what Ken Paxton is include to, in, accused of. It's not, you know, what, you know, Michael Cohen did for a living. It's not what Paul, just what Paul put Paul Manafort in jail. Yeah, corruption includes, and the vernacular includes things like bribery and all that. That's fine. And that's, I don't, I'm not disputing that connotation of the word, but there are other connotations of the word. Corruption, if you read the Bible, right? If you read Shakespeare, if you read, if you peruse through the Oxford English Dictionary, corruption has a much deeper and profound meaning. You know, it's when a wound is infected, it's corrupted. The flesh has become corrupted. In, in a lot of Christian teachings, when you give in to your base desires and impulses, you are, you are, you are corrupting yourself. Corrupting gets at, at concepts like decay and entropy. And the, one of the central points of my book, this is, this is the part about the word suicide in my book, is that this is, what's, this is what giving in to human nature does to people. When you, when you no longer model your behavior and your attitudes on principles that are hard to follow, right? I mean, there, there's a, we all fall short of ideals. That's why we call them ideals. You never get to true north. It's a direction. It points you towards the ideal, right? It, towards, it points you towards the right path. It points you towards right behavior. And when we turn away from that stuff and we give in to our base desires and our ambitions, this is what the founding fathers talk about over and over again about ambition, which is a natural human attribute. When you give that stuff free reign, that's corruption. When you know you give in to your base instincts, that's corruption. And what the GOP is doing right now is corrupt. It's just corrupt. It is power worship, which is a source of corruption, right? We are wired to want to just follow the big man. We're wired just to want to like um, live under a strong leader because that's the evolutionary environment that we came up in. Uh, that's why monarchy was such a stable form of government all around the world for thousands of years because it taps into that sort of more basic core um, human instinct that this idea that our leader should be like our father and tell us what to do and cares for us like he's the head of our family. And uh, the desire to sort of placate Donald Trump in his strongman games and say that these um, complicated rules about how we run elections and how the constitutional system with its checks and its balances and all of these things, um, they're just getting in the way of what's right. That's corruption. That's how societies 
you know, decay. That's why strong men rise up. You know, that's why Edmund Burke predicted the rise of a, of a general um, after the, the uh, French Revolution. is because amidst chaos and anarchy, our instincts kick in and we fall back into a more tribal understanding of human organization. And right before our eyes, that's what the Republican Party is doing. That's what conservatives are doing. And the best I can say about these people is that they're lying, right? That they actually know they're doing wrong. They just don't think the stakes are so high that it's worth being brave, that it's worth telling the truth. And I don't want to just paint with too broad a brush. There are people who have said the right thing. There are people who refuse to sign that stupid, you know, uh, congressional statement. Ben Sass, you know, criticized this thing. Other people, John Cornyn has criticized this thing because it's, it's legal garbage. It's constitutional garbage and it's dangerous garbage. And, um, but a lot of people, there's no way Ted Cruz believes that this is real, that this is a serious thing. Um, and I think he's kind of got himself in trouble because he agreed to argue the Pennsylvania thing. And cause he knew that, and it was, a, you know, I, I said it was a really smart move on Twitter and a lot of people got mad at me. Um, not getting part of the joke was just how cynical Ted was being, but, um, he knew the court wasn't going to hear it. So he gets credit with Trump world and like Lou Dobbs for being willing to step into the breach and fight for what's right, knowing full well that he won't have to. And now he's, I get, I gather he's on, maybe I got this wrong, but I gather he's on the hook for this one too. And the only reason why I would want the Supreme Court to actually hear this thing is to see Ted Cruz act like the dog that catches the car and then has no idea what to do with it. Um, but again, I have to assume that most of these people know that they're lying and they just have rationalized it, which, you know, in rationalization are, you know, rationalizations are the lies you tell yourself to give into corruption. Um, you know, that, you know, oh, what, what's, what's, you know, what's the big deal if I steal this one thing or if I, you know, cheat on my wife this one time, what, you know, rationalizations are how we give into our, the baser aspects of our human nature. We give ourselves permission to do what feels good, um, or feels satisfying in the moment. And so I have to believe that most of these people know that, that this is all BS but they think they've rationalized it to say, oh, well, you know, really important that we win Florida or, you know, this country really needs me to be president. So I need Trump's biggest fans. And it doesn't matter that these lies are metastasizing. This thing could have been shut down the morning after the election if Republican leadership came out and said, look, you know, uh, you, you know, yes, the president has the right to um, pursue these things in court. But there is no evidence that this was massive election fraud. Instead, at every step of the way, they made these little sort of appeasement sacrifices of their integrity and their honesty. You know, what was it Churchill said about appeasement? It's the art of um, feeding the alligator one limb at a time. Uh, that's what these guys were doing. And now they're they're left in the spot where they're not, you know, this Texas thing is not even alleging fraud anymore. It's alleging that these laws that these states changed to deal with a freaking pandemic made it impossible to actually find the fraud, right? Which is this classic conspiracy theory, you know, trope where 
someone says something absolutely outlandish about the lizard people, and then you provide proof that their theory about what the lizard people did is um, is not true, and they say, ah, you know, but that's 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 part of how insidious this conspiracy was, is that um, uh, the absence of the evidence is actually proof that it happened, right? It's this, or you're in on it. And now these guys have painted themselves into this corner where with this Texas lawsuit, which does not allege fraud. It alleges that these states should not have changed their own laws to fit the pandemic, and that therefore the election should be thrown out. And keep in mind, it is so obvious what they're doing. Many states, many, many states, I believe including Texas, changed their laws to deal with the pandemic. I've been against, you know, uh, these rolling mail-in, you know, election month things for years. Go and look how many columns I've written about this thing. I think there should be an election day or maybe an election weekend. And then if you're not, you know, a shut-in or a soldier serving overseas or in a hospital bed, you pretty much shouldn't be able to do absentee voting. Um, I do not like absentee voting. But as I was saying earlier, pandemics are one of those things that are exceptions to the rule about how a society should be organized. And so I had no problem with the idea of of increasing absentee voting or mail-in voting um, before, you know, during a pandemic. And lots of states did that. Texas isn't complaining about New York State doing it. It's not complaining about California doing it. It's not complaining about you know, even Texas doing it. It's complaining about the four swing states that will give Donald Trump the election and only those four swing states. And it would be one thing if they could actually prove that there was fraud and demonstrate that there was fraud, but they haven't been able to do that. So now they're just saying it was unconstitutional for them to change their own laws. And and they don't care that it would be just as unconstitutional for New York or California to do it. Um, they only want to do it for these four states because they've already convinced enough people that there was something shady going on in those four states. It's all such utter bull**** and it's so infuriating that I got to keep writing and talking about this stuff. But I, I just don't, I don't get how people can be so blasé about what what is happening here. And it just drives me crazy, right? But I'll stop. I know I've gone a long time on all of this and I know people listen to this while they're doing their laundry on Saturday morning or whatnot, and they don't want to hear me constantly ranting and screaming and whatnot. So I apologize. Um, so what else to talk about? Um, well, we can talk about this Hunter Biden stuff. I, I don't completely, I get partially why everyone's doing these, a lot of these sort of anti anti Trump types are doing a victory lap about the Hunter Biden story. Um, but I think they're stealing a lot of bases, right? Um, the 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 arguments, you know. I saw Megan Kelly. I, I like Megan Kelly. Um, I really do, and um, I think she got a real raw deal in all sorts of ways over the last few years. But she's been tweeting as if she's sort of trying to make a comeback into Trump world. You know, now that Trump is parting, she's sort of trying to find the frequency that brings her back in. That's how I read her tweets. She had this tweet. Uh, this week where she said, you know, talking about how the Biden story was censored, the Hunter Biden laptop story was censored by big media and big tech and yada, yada, yada. And so whatever the, whatever the truth of the fraud or election allegations was, 
one thing is clear, this was not a fair election. I just, I don't know what the hell she's talking about. Um, if the argument is that privately owned media companies doing things that, let's stipulate, were ill-advised and wrong, that somehow um, that makes the election unfair. Um, well, I mean, if it's just a rhetorical point that has no and therefore to it, okay, fine, whatever. But that means that virtually every election we've ever had in this country was unfair because the media has done all sorts of crazy, stupid things over and over again. I mean, I bring this up all the time. Daniel Shore, uh, who was on, you know, most to the extent any of you guys remember him, it's probably from NPR or um, maybe that movie The Game with Michael Douglas. Um, but for a long time, he was the CBS News evening course, uh, foreign correspondent. And he gave a report which Barry Goldwater successfully sued over, I believe, saying that Goldwater, after Goldwater had, had wrapped up the nomination um, in 64, his vacation in Germany was really a clandestine effort to link up with uh, far-right and neo-Nazi forces to coordinate the fall campaign, or words to that effect, I'm quoting from distant memory. It was all a terrible friggin' lie. It was outrageous. It's one of my go-to points about liberal media bias and all of that. I, I, I found it outrageous. It was totally untrue. I believe I believe Goldwater sued over that. I'm just not sure if he sued over that or the thousand psychiatrists who said he was too crazy to be president um, in an ad, I believe, in the New York Times. Either way, things like that have happened a lot in American history. And in the context of this fight that we're having right now to talk about how the election was unfair because a story that um, I still think was a deeply flawed story that the New York Post ran um, wasn't given uh, free reign on Twitter and Facebook, uh, that that makes the election unfair. I just think it's a bizarre argument. Um, and, you know, look, I, under, I understand that it was, I think it was the wrong decision that Twitter and Facebook did there, um, basically rendering the uh, the New York Post story unpostable or invisible on websites, but millions of people found it anyway. Um, it may have been more difficult to get to, but in some ways the censorship gave the story more legs. Uh, and I say censorship advisedly because I don't think it's actually censorship. I think it's uh, editorial judgment, but we don't have a word for, we use censorship to mean two things, government, you know, actual censorship, which is a specific legal thing, and then platforms refusing to run things. Um, and, uh, but the, you know, the, the controversy over that gave that story more legs, I would argue. And I think the traffic numbers on the New York Post story kind of demonstrate that. At least that's my recollection. Um, because one of the best ways to get a lot of attention on the internet is to tell millions of people that you're not allowed to see something. Um, and, you know, and that's true for all sorts of weird things. And the really weird things uh, that you're supposed to not see, you might want to use ExpressVPN for. Does it make sense that the same company who controls half of online retail also passively eavesdrops on your private conversations at home? What about the idea that a single company controls 90% of internet searches, runs your email service, and gets to track everything you do on your smartphone? It's time to put a layer of protection between your online activity and these tech juggernauts. And that's why you should use ExpressVPN. Think about how much of your life is on the internet. 
Sadly, every site you visit, video you watch, or message you send gets tracked and data mined. But when you use ExpressVPN on your device, the software hides your IP address, something big tech can use to personally identify you. So ExpressVPN makes your activity harder to trace and sell to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your internet data to keep you safe from hackers and eavesdroppers on your network. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated number one VPN service by CNET and Wired. What you might like most about ExpressVPN is how easy it is to use. Download the app on your phone or computer, tap one button, and you're protected. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash remnant. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash remnant to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash remnant right now to learn more. Okay, so anyway, on the Hunter Biden thing, um, I don't know any responsible person who was skeptical about the post running that story or, um, you know, I forget any responsible person. I never, David French never, um, for a moment disputed that Hunter Biden was a sketchy dude who was involved in sketchy stuff, doing sketchy things. I think that was established during the impeachment stuff with Burisma. Um, I think that's just a well-known thing. I have no problem with the idea that he is corrupt. Um, and so it's, I have no problem believing that the FBI is investigating him. Uh, I don't know that that means that the way the the Trump boosters and the Trump campaign handled the Hunter Biden story was beyond criticism. Um, but yeah, sure. I think that the, 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 the media was in the tank for Biden. I mean, who, who doesn't think that's the case? Uh, that that would have been true if uh, Marco Rubio were elected in 2016. That's always the case uh, in in presidential campaigns. The Democrats are always pulling for the Democrat every election in my lifetime. Uh, I just don't. I, I think there's just some dots that people are connecting that I, I don't think necessarily have been connected. But I think given that the Supreme Court thing is going to die the fraud allegations are all BS and are going to die, that this is where um, this stuff goes because people are already so comfortable in arguing that because the New York Times is bad, you have to support Donald Trump or because the the mainstream media poisons the minds of America, uh, you have to forgive um, anything that Republicans do or say. Uh, This is just too well within the comfort zone of sort of not just the anti-anti-Trump crowd, but the just sort of, you know, feed the beast um, right-wing pandering crowd, that this is going to be the real reason why how um, uh, Biden stole the election is because the media handed it to him, which, look, again, I think the media was pro-Biden. I I don't know how any reasonable person can dispute that. But... uh, Donald Trump was president for four years. He was in the news every single day. He was available to reporters almost every single day. He tweeted like an escape monkey from a cocaine study every single day. He gave Castroite stemwinder press conferences during the COVID crisis. The idea that somehow the voters didn't make up their minds 
about Donald Trump because of the way Donald Trump actually governed, but only through the filter of how MSNBC and the New York Times presented him, I think is just really far-fetched. I mean, the, the, this, this, the power that, you know, it's sort of like, you know, there's this line I've used before, um, someone's argument is so weak, it's like a boxer who needs to um, prop up his opponent so he can keep punching him. Uh, the idea, you know, the, the boogeyman of how, how powerful mainstream media is in our lives is uh, so central to so much of the sort of business operations of the right because it's all they want to talk about. It's all they want to about. Most of them don't even read it or follow it except, you know, to mine it for quotes that prove a point that their audiences already believe. And, uh, and it's just, it's kind of weird given how much weaker the mainstream media is today than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. Back when Don Walter Cronkite was the anchor of CBS Evening News, he had real power in this country. There were only three networks, something like 70% of the American people watched him and believed whatever he said. Can you quick, can you name the anchors of the three broadcast networks? I can't. I mean, I, I think, no, I can't. Um, and like, I'm a news junkie. I, just, I don't watch that stuff. Uh, 20 years ago, Ken Aletta was running through the data of, of who watches the evening newscasts for the New Yorker. And I remember, again, this was at least 15 years ago, almost 20. Um, and I remember him saying that only 8% of the audience was like under the age of 70 or something like that. It, you know, there's a real, if you, whenever you watch it, it's, it's, it's four minutes of, of real news. And then it's, you know, stuff that re retired people want to hear about, you know, uplifting stories of puppies being saved and, you know, what they're, you know, you know, and how tuition costs are going up or, you know, what's going to happen to your social security these things don't have that kind of power, you know, and the New York Times, New York Times doesn't have remotely the kind of power it once did in this culture. You know, I mean, the, the joke about how Castro got his job through the New York Times was a thing. Um, it, that kind of stuff, you know, it doesn't, it has nowhere close to that kind of power. And meanwhile, conservative media is so much more powerful than it once was. The problems aren't that the, the media criticism stuff, I found it really boring and I've done it for 20 years and it's not, and it, partly because it's, it's not because it's not true. It's just saying the same thing over and over again. Um, but it also misses how so much of the culture has changed over the last quarter century, how people are, you know, getting their news from all sorts of different ways that, um, you know, in, in some ways that's the problem. No, it used to be that whether you were a conservative or a liberal, you were still likely to hear, read stuff in the New York Times that you needed to know rather than what you wanted to know. Now people get to curate on their phones and their tablets and their computers a news feed that just confirms all of their biases. And it's amazing. I mean, I'm sure you've had this kind of experience if you're a, one of my left-wing readers or, or listeners or one of my right-wing listeners, where you've talked to somebody whether they're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, and you bring up something that you had read about and knew it was a real thing, and they were like, I've never heard that. What are you talking about? That's got to be made up. 
Well, if you have a steady diet of just news from one side of the aisle, particularly a side of the, uh, an, for an, from an outlet that, whose business model is designed to feed you what you want to hear, then no wonder you're in a bubble. No wonder you think that, you know, contrary evidence. I mean, I, I hear from people all of the time who, who you know, from email, who are, some of them are quite angry, or on Twitter, who, who seem to sincerely believe that none of the real fraud evidence has been thrown out of court yet. Um, you know, who sincerely believe that this Texas case is a serious, legally, you know, significant case. And it's because they're only listening to the people who tell them that. You know, that's one of the reasons why we started the dispatch was to be a, um, an antidote to that kind of thing. Anyway, I've gone really long. I got stuff I got to do. I got to look at the galleys of the G file. Um, I, I apologize for the ranting. Blame it on the booze. Uh, blame it on me, you know, being broken by Trump, which is what I hear all the time. Um, but I'm just, I'm so disgusted. And um, I promise there'll be um, more mirth and jocularity. And there were lots of interesting things that came up in the podcasts that I did this week, which I would love to be able to talk about, but I just don't have time right now. Um, but I think you should go check them out. I had a great episode with Sarah Isger where we talked about you know, some of the legal stuff and this Florida recount stuff. And I went 90 minutes with, with Raihan about um, urban politics and all of that, which I thought was a lot of, I enjoyed it. And um, I want to make it sort of an occasional series, as it were, for the podcast, for The Remnant, where we talk about urban stuff, because I really think that that's a, I'm personally interested in it. And I think if the GOP is going to be a mainstream party again, it's got to take that stuff seriously. And if we're actually going to improve people's lives, conservatives need to have more influence in the areas that are generating the most wealth, that have the most people, and have the most low-hanging fruit for reform. You know, the, 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 the stuff, the easiest stuff to fix in American life is the stuff that is, is the gunk that is accumulated in cities and metropolitan areas that have been run under one party rule for a really long time. And if conservatives could get a hearing, they may not be the kind of conservatives that, you know, um, uh, appear at CPAC. Then again, I don't know why anybody would appear at CPAC at this point. I'm so disgusted with what Matt Schlapp has been doing. Um, um, and I say this as the conservative journalist of the year at CPAC, by the way, I mean, I, I have the credentials and experience to know what the hell I'm talking about on this stuff. Um, but anyway, if we could get just serious, conserv conservative, right of center, sensible reforms in places like New York, places like Philadelphia, places like Chicago, it would improve more people's lives. It would lend credibility to the idea that the Republican Party um, cares about uh, people other than this narrow band of people who, um, uh, you know, stereotypically belong in a pickup truck commercial. Um, and that's just the, where the real progress could be made. And that's where the real improvement could be made. I mean, all the stuff that conservatives claim to care about, about the plight of the little guy, about the ability of the young entrepreneur or the family owned business to succeed. The problems they face in, in cities is so much greater than the, promise, the problems they face, you know, in rural Texas or something like that. And conservatives should be able to, should focus on that stuff and make inroads there. And I think there are a lot of 
natural alliances that can be formed with reasonable, serious, patriotic, and decent Democrats and liberals who are actually, you know, uh, fact-driven, data-driven, and uh, not bought into all the woke nonsense and, and popular front mentality that has held back so many people. But anyway, that's a talk for another day. I said I was ending, so let me end. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for indulging me, and I'll talk to you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.